0: Sweet, so we're going to pick it up, uh, 1 John uh, chapter 4, verse 17. And so as we come to God's word, let's just pray, all right? Lord, we thank you for your word. We love the written word because the written word leads us to the living word, Jesus. And Jesus, we just pray that you'd come reveal yourself to each one of our hearts this morning. Lord, we pray that your spirit would uh, just bring unction and authority and power to the word of God that each one of our hearts would be pierced and touched, Lord, challenged, God, transformed, strengthened, encouraged, Lord, rebuked, corrected. God, you know what each one of us needs this morning, and we thank you that by your spirit you can do that in our hearts and lives. And so, Lord, come. May our, may our hearts, God, be good soil for the seed of your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Right on. So First John, John has been... On this conversation, we've seen about um, love and the perfection of love. We've seen different things about love that John's told us. He told us this. I want to just review a little bit for us. He told us that, that our love for one another is proof that we are in fellowship with God. He told us that, that our love for one another is also proof that we are the children of God. And in saying that, in, in in, in saying that we're to love one another then John told us this he said but that doesn't mean this it doesn't mean just because we love that we park our brain at the door okay we're to we're to be discerning we're to uh, test the spirits biblical love does that it tests the spirits it does it is a discerning love and so love is paramount it's it's first in the Christian life and love is a a valid test of our fellowship With uh, one another love is a valid test of our identity as sons and daughters of God and why this is so important is because of the very nature of who God is God is love God himself is love that's who he is when we talk about the very nature of God and who God is John tells us God is love now that's that's who he is and what we saw is this is we saw that that God defines what love is. This is what we were chatting a little bit about last week, okay? Not that love defines who God is, but God defines what love is. And and he did that in the revelation of his son, Jesus. That's the greatest expression of God's love. It's the greatest revelation of the love of God is through his son, Jesus. On the cross, John says, the love of God was made manifest. It was on display God put His love on exhibit for everyone to see, out in the open, made public. Uh, He made it manifest. That's, That's the very opposite of hiding His love and keeping it a secret. He made it known for everyone, and He did it through the cross. And so what God is doing is this. He is love. He has made His love known to us through the cross of Christ. But then what has He done as He's manifested? He sent his son into the world and God is doing this. What's God doing in the world today? He's living and abiding in you and I. When we talk about the cross, the cross that's so central to our lives happened 2,000 years ago and we look back at it, it's the bearing point of our lives. But the question is, what's God doing today? And God is doing this. He's living and abiding in us. We're not just spectators watching an event. We're not merely reading a story, we are actual participants in God's story, participants in in the event in the great drama of God's love and as he unfolds his story on the earth and it works this way. God lives in us. And God and so God God is not just satisfied. The Lord is not just satisfied to tell us about his love. He's not just satisfied to To simply show us his love through the cross. He actually wants his love to be manifest in our lives. And so he comes and he lives and indwells in us. The the, the word of God tells us that we are the temple of God. Do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit lives in you? And so check out verse 16. We'll pick it up here. Kind of where we left off last Sunday of chapter 4, 1 John. It says this. So we have come to know and to believe the love God has for us. I love that. We've come to know it, and we've come to believe it. To know it means we've, we've acquired knowledge regarding this. We understand it. We perceive it. We have knowledge with regards to God's love. And it's interesting that in the original language, this is in the perfect tense. The mood of the verb is indicative, which means that this is a statement of fact. We have come to know the love of God. Can you know the love of God? That's a a good question. Can you know the love of God? Is that possible? And how can you know it? Well, John's told us that. How can you know the love of God? The answer is through the cross. The The answer is through looking at the, The sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The answer is the cross. You know, like I'm convinced God loves me. We sang it this morning. I love that we sang that song. It was like, sweet God. You're just affirming what's gonna be taught this morning. I'm convinced that God loves me. Look, you can't convince me otherwise. You cannot, and I hope that that's the conviction of your heart too. You cannot convince me otherwise. This is how I know God loves me. Because of the cross. Because God sent his one and only son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, we, so we know this. We're to know the love of God. But here's the thing. The love of God has to make that 18-inch descent down into our hearts. It's not just knowledge between the ears. It has to be something that takes residence in our hearts. We're not just to know the love of God. John says we're to believe in it. We're to believe it. This, it's it's the conviction of trust. To believe means this. To believe in the heart means to be persuaded. It means to place confidence in the love of God. We don't just know God's love. We believe God's love in our hearts for us. And again, when when the original language says that that John says we've come to believe this, it's in the perfect tense. It, It means that this is a statement of fact. The verb again is indicative. This is what we believe in our hearts the love of God. God is love. God manifests his love through his Son, and he is not just satisfied to demonstrate that he loves us. Love actually lives in you and I when we place our trust in Jesus Christ. And so, verse 16 again says this. Let me read it to you again. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Now for me, here's here's the thing as I read this. If this is the case, then if, if God has come to abide in me, and love is abiding in me, then there has to be evidence Like that's the thing I think when I read this there has to be some form of evidence to what John is claiming. Like if it's the court of law and if if we're talking about this in a judicial sense evidence is required to confirm what the witness is saying. And so we need some evidence to prove that love abides in us and dwells in us. There has to be some way to substantiate what John is claiming about the love of God. And so he says in verse 17 by this is love perfected? So he says, Here's the evidence. Okay? Here's the evidence. Again, what, what, what is the evidence of God's love being perfected in us? It, this is amazing to say that God's love is being perfected in us. That means it's being complete, finished. It's the same word when Jesus hung on the cross and he said, It is finished. This is what God is doing in us. It is being finished, it is being completed. It is being perfected. God wants to be perfect in us in love. And I think about it because I just know myself and you know yourselves. I'm like far from there. <laughs> far from perfect. And we know that about ourselves and so we have to look and say, well, then what is the evidence that is testifying to the fact that God's love is at work in me? What is the evidence that testifies to the fact that that?" I can know his love is being perfected in me and and we're gonna see a number of evidences that we can look for and we can observe in our own lives and the first is this, John tells us confidence. So let's check it out again, verse 17, we'll read through to 19. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgments because as he is so, also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. The Greek word for fear is phobia. You got any phobias? <laughs> you know, that we've, we've adopted that, that, that Greek word into the English language, and we got all sorts of phobias that we talk about. You know, we like talk about claustrophobia. That's to be, you know, freaked out in confined spaces. Or there's acrophobia, to, to have an irrational fear of heights or an extreme fear of heights. The one I always think of when I think of this phobia is like arachnophobia. Do you know what that one is? That's the fear of spiders. I don't know, that's like the 80s child in me, because wasn't there a movie called Arachnophobia way back in those days? I remember watching that movie, okay. That's an irrational or extreme fear of spiders. Now, when we have fears, phobias, it's because there's different things that affect that. It could be something from our past that haunts us, right? It could be something in the present that's happening in our, day, in, in our day-to-day life, right present, right now, that's like just bringing fear. Or it can be something that's in the future that feels threatening to our future, or what could be coming down the pipe for us. But what John tells us here is that a believer does not have to fear. You know when you think about past, present, future? A believer doesn't have to f- fear the past. I mean, we don't have to fear the present or the future because we have the experience of God's love. And God's love is being perfected in us. You know, a verse that I love in Scripture is Hebrews 9.27. Memorized it years ago, and it says this. It's appointed once f- for man to die, and after that to face judgment and i had that verse memorized and then one time i heard a friend preach on the very next verse and i thought wow the next verse is, is so much greater see this verse says that it's true that you're going to die once that's the reality for everyone and there is a judgment that comes after death but hebrews chapter 9 verse 28 says this so christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those that are waiting for him. See, what that says is this. It says those who are in Christ don't need to fear. They don't need to fear judgment because Jesus has already suffered judgment in your place. He's already suffered that. And so our our judgment is not in the future if we're a follower of Jesus. We don't fear what's in front of us. We don't have to fear it. Because it was already judged in the past. Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree. If I understand that God loves me, if I've come to to know it and to believe it, I can have confidence that whatever is going on in any given moment of my life is what God has planned and what's best for me. No matter what the doctor says. You know, no matter what someone else might say. No matter what the devil would suggest. You know, no matter who wins an election. No matter who's the prime minister of Canada or who's the president of the United States. <laughs> when you're sure of God's love for you, you do not have to fear. That's what John's telling us. That means, that means the answer, that, well, when you think about it, it means this. It means that the answer to any of your fears... And the answer to any of your phobias, the answer to any of your anxieties is not to dig in and find out what's going on there and, you know, how do you get to work that out? The, the answer is this, become saturated in the love of God. Become saturated in the love of God. Be drenched and soaked in God's love for you because John tells us, his perfect love casts out fear, drops it out. So we don't fear the future. We don't don't fear the past because Jesus was judged for our past. We don't fear the future because for the same reason, Jesus was was judged for that. So we don't fear that. You know, the amazing thing is that the scripture tells us even when we were enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more being reconciled, reconciled shall we be saved through his life? I mean, think about this. God loved you when you were outside the family. He loved you when you were disobeying him. And now how much more does he love you that you can sing, I'm a child of God? So we don't fear the past, we don't fear the pre- the, the future, and we don't have to fear the present because perfect love casts out fear. You know, as we grow in the love of God, we can we can Cease to fear the hypotheticals. You know, what might God do? What might, what might happen here? What might this happen? You know, we begin to just say to the Lord, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. I've made you my dwelling place. I won't fear the arrows that fly by day or the terrors of the night. That's what the psalmist said. I'm not afraid because I'm held by you. In your presence, Lord, I find refuge. You know, here in the secret, in the secret place, God whispers to us You know, you're my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. And we don't fear because we're held by God. And God wants his kids to live in this atmosphere of, of love and confidence with regards to who he is, not in fear. Not in torment. Love Romans 8, these verses that we know so well, it says this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What an awesome truth. There's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. Perfect love drives out fear, you know. Takes time, I don't know about you, but it takes time for God's love to be perfected in your life, doesn't it? It's like, man, I wish it was just like that. It's a process that we're walking through with the Lord. It's a relationship, walking together. It takes time. You know, maybe you think about your time in life before Jesus, before you knew Jesus, and you just feared, and you didn't know the love of God, right? Wow, I don't know what the future holds. I fear this, I fear this, I fear this, and I don't know the love of God. And then you come to know Jesus, and you you start to experience kind of this, this mix of His love and experiencing fears. And you, (laughs) you know, the scripture says when we're young in the Lord, we're tossed to and fro like the waves of the sea, right? Like a ship on the sea. And sometimes it's like, whoa, we're on top of the waves. And other times, whoa, down in the bottom of it. And there's this mixture of fear and sometimes confidence and terror and trust and tossed like the waves of the sea. But as you mature in the Lord, you just, You just come to rest in His love. So, God, I trust You. No matter what, I I just trust You. You know, I I haven't said this for a long time, but I used to say it a a lot around here, and I was I was thinking about this as I was just considering fear. But you know, the thing I always remember about fear is this: is that you can follow your fear, and it will reveal the idols of your life. Like if you just follow the path of fear, what do I fear? It will reveal the idols. And I would just say to you this, follow your fears to your idols and repent. Turn of that. Turn from that stuff. Say, God, I'm, I repent of that, Lord. I'm not gonna fear because perfect love casts, casts out fear. And so, we're, we're, uh, so I would say this, a, a growing confidence in the love of God is one of, the, one of the points of evidence, one of the pieces of evidence that shows you God is perfecting you. Are you growing in your confidence in the Lord Jesus? Another is honesty. Check it out. Verse 20. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For who does not love his brother, sorry, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must love his brother. You know, again, when John makes these hard statements, I want to tell you, this is not for condemnation. It's for motivation. It's the mirror in the face. Whoa, am I hating my brother? And this is not right. I need to deal with this in my life. That's what John's calling us to do. He's trying to motivate us to turn towards Jesus. And when he, when he talks about this, this command to, to love your brother, I, I just think like it's appropriate to think of, about forgiveness, to comment on forgiveness in our lives. You know that forgiveness never has to do with feelings? I was giving this illustration years ago, but but a Bible college professor said this. He said, your feelings are the caboose on the train. You don't need the caboose. They got rid of those a long time ago. Your feelings are not the locomotive. If If feelings in your life are the locomotive, something's out of order. So you gotta get it right. And forgiveness does not have to do with feelings. So we don't make the choice to forgive based on our feelings, because if you wait for that, you're never going to feel like it, right? No, forgiveness is a decision we make, and we choose to forgive. And if we make that choice, the feelings follow. It's like, no, I'm going to make the choice of doing what God's word says, the locomotive, and God will take care of the feelings. He'll bring those emotions in line with him. And so who can forgive? Well, only the person who's living in love. That's what we see here. The one who realizes that, that God's been good to them. God's forgiven me in spite of the fact that I've sinned against him. He forgave me. And that means I got no option. I actually have no option. I have to forgive as I've been forgiven. And as John talks here uh, uh, about hating our brother, he, he gives this warning. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. And see, the warning here is against being a pretender. That, that's playing make believe, like just putting up the, the, the facade of religiosity, sitting in church and pretending. You don't pretend. Remember when you were a kid? play pretend. You play make believe imagination stuff, and like that's that's cool when you're a kid. That's like totally kosher, but when we're talking about biblical maturity, living in pretense and make-believe is not healthy. It's not good. In fact, you know, it's interesting when you talk about perfect love driving out fear, it's like fear and pretending dishonesty, they come together. They go hand in hand. The best biblical example is Adam and Eve, Right? When they realized their nakedness, they they tried to hide from God and tried to cover it up. And finally, you know, when they're doing the peekaboo game with God and they realize, oh, he found us, uh, they say, wow, we were afraid. They were afraid of God. That's why they started to pretend. But when our hearts are confident towards God and his love for us, there's no need to pretend. We don't need to pretend here. We don't need to pretend in front of God. We don't need to pretend in front of one another. You know, I would, I would just encourage you. You don't have to impress us with your spirituality. That's pretense. Just be yourself. Just be who God made you to be. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? Acts chapter five. What was their whole story about? It was about pretense. It was about pretending to be something they weren't. It was about pretending to give God something. They hadn't sold that piece of property, came to the church, presented the idea that they had given everything that they had, all the prophets. And what was the truth? They had held back a portion from themselves. And, and Peter said, you're not lied to us. You lied to the Holy Spirit. Pretense. And so, you know, when you're open and honest with your father, you can be open and honest with others. And honesty is awesome. It brings freedom, brings peace, brings power in your life. And so, honesty is one of the things, one of the evidences that we can look for in our lives. We've got confidence and and honesty. Confidence towards God and honesty with God and with other people. Those are two witnesses that love is being perfected in us. Here's a third one. Obedience, or love expressing itself in obedience. Yeah, I would say not just obedience, but love expressing itself in obedience. Because, you know, obedience can be like coerced, obedience can be forced. But there is such a thing as willful, willing, joyful, loving obedience. Joyful obedience. Look at. Chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we are the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. You know, when you think about obedience to God, you know all of creation obeys God, except for (laughs) men and women, (laughs) except for human beings. The ocean obeys God. The scripture says that he tells it, this is your boundary, you'll go no further. It it does what he says. The psalmist says, fire? (laughs) Think about California. You should be praying for them, by the way. It's tragic what's happening down there. It's just... (laughs) It's biblical. Like it's, it's l- end of days stuff. It's like crazy, isn't it? Uh, can we j- let's just stop and pray for them right now, actually. Lord, we just come before you right now and we pray for the state of California. Lord, we pray for these people, the community of paradise where there's over 6,000 structures and homes destroyed, Lord. People fleeing for their lives, highways closed. Uh, it's shocking, Lord. God, we just know that these things are going to increase as your return gets nearer. And so, Lord, we pray for the people of California, Lord. They would not make excuses, look to other things, Lord, but they'd look to their creator, that they call on their Father who is in heaven, Lord. Thank you that you're gracious and you're compassionate to all who call upon you. Lord, we pray those fires would cease. Pray the wind would stop, Lord. Pray the the rain would fall, God, and that you'd have mercy on those people, Lord. We ask you, God, we ask you to remember your mercy, Lord. Remember your mercy, Lord. And show those people that you are a merciful God in the midst of this. And so, Lord, we just ask these things in your name. Amen. Fire, man, it obeys his word. The psalmist says hail, snow, mist, Every stormy wind fulfills his word. Did you know that? Psalm 148. Think about the story of Jonah. Man, the ocean obeyed God. (laughs) The the wind obeyed God. The waves obeyed God. The creatures in the sea, the fish, obeyed God. In the story of Jonah, the plants obeyed God and even the worm obeyed God. You know who disobeyed God? God. Jonah. (laughs) Jonah, that's why we like Jonah, because that's you and me. Jonah persisted, man. Even when everything around him was obeying God, he persisted in disobedience. He said, Lord, I'm, well, he didn't say Lord. He just stubbornly went his own way. And we know how that went for him, right? Puked up on a beach. You know, one of the tests for us of our obedience is our attitude and our heart towards the word of God. That's one of the tests of a maturing, growing love is our attitude towards the Bible because in the Bible, that's, that's where we find God's will for our lives. Warren Wiersbe said this, he said this, an unsaved man considers the Bible an impossible book, mainly because he does not understand its spiritual message. An immature Christian considers the demands of the Bible to be burdensome. He is someone like a child learning to obey who asks, why do I have to do that? Or wouldn't it be better to do this? But a Christian who is experiencing the perfecting work of God's love finds himself enjoying the word of God and truly loving it. He does not read the Bible as a textbook but as a love letter. See, love lightens the burden. Remember Jacob, Laban, this pretty girl named Rachel? (laughs) Love lightened the burden. That guy said, I will work seven years for that girl. And the scripture says it seemed to him as if it was a daze. Seven years is a long time. Long time. But what lightened it? He loved her. He loved her. And that's the reality for us, too, is when when we love God, we say, Lord, your word is not burdensome to me. I love your word. I desire to do your will. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. And so the work of God's perfecting love will produce that kind of heart in us. It will produce that kind of love. It will express itself God's perfecting love will express it, express itself in a willing obedience to the word of God. Here's a fourth one, victory. Victory. 1 John chapter 5 verse 4 and 5 says this: For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So again, you know, we were just talking about obedience. Sometimes it's like, sometimes it's not easy to obey God, is it? It's not easy to obey Him. You know, there's the, the world, the flesh, the the devil. It's easy to drift. It's easy to put things on cruise control. It's easy to backslide into this world and do your own thing. And it's easy to disobey God. It really is. And the Christian, as Christians, we've we've been born of God. The the divine nature lives in us. That's what Peter tells us. Giving us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. Who's called us by his own glory and goodness. And and this means that for the divine nature, the fact that God is abiding in us, it's impossible for that nature to disobey God. But the problem is, is I got two natures, you know. The fleshly nature that's in me, the old nature. And when it's in control, man, we disobey. But if we submit to the new nature, God brings obedience. He brings victory over sin, the flesh, the devil, the world. The world's appealing to the old nature and it's it's telling us oh, what God says is too burdensome man. What God says is too hard. What God says is too difficult. It's too demanding. And John tells us what is it that overcomes the world? He says it's our faith that overcomes the world. It's faith that saves us. It's faith that keeps us. We're saved by faith. We say that we walk by faith with Jesus. When we're the born again children of God through faith in, in Christ Jesus, faith is the only way that we can overcome this world. And we grow in faith as we grow in the knowledge of God's love. That's what happens for us. Because, you know, the more you love someone, the easier it is for you to trust them. You know? The more you know them, the more you love them, the more you trust them. Say, so I know their character. I know who they are, I know what they're about, I know what they value, I love them, I trust them and the more the love of God is perfected in us, the more we get sure of his character, the more we, we trust him and the more our faith grows and, and faith, it's kind of interesting, you know, like faith and love are kind of like like the garden, two plants that mature together and the result is as faith matures and grows, John says there'll be victory. What is our victory that overcomes the world? It's our faith. It's our faith. You know, boil this right down. How do I overcome the temptation of this world? How do I overcome the seduction of this world, the attraction of this world? Is it through a program? Do I sign up for 12 steps? Is that how it works? Like how do I overcome? Not that that's bad. But The idea here is that it's through a person. It's through a person. Victory is through a person. Through a person. Jesus said this. He said in this world you're going to have trouble. Take heart. Twelve steps has overcome the world. I'm not slamming twelve steps. It's just what's in my head right now. Not in my notes. Take heart. Who's overcome the world? I have overcome the world, he said. I have overcome the world. And John tells us, Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes Jesus is the Son of God? Look, you put your faith in Jesus, you will overcome this world. It's not faith in ourselves, it's faith in Christ that gives us the victory. Are you in Christ? That's the question. Are you in Christ? Then you don't have to walk around defeated because Jesus has made you victorious. Jesus has defeated every enemy and you share in his victory. You share in his victory and now by faith, claim his victory. Remember from a few weeks ago? It's like two Adams living inside of me. The first Adam from Genesis and the last Adam, Jesus. And when I'm dealing with sin, The question is, when I'm dealing with temptation, which Adam do I send to answer the door? If I send the one from Genesis, I lose. If I send the last Adam, Jesus, I have victory. By faith, claim his victory. The key is faith. That's always the key to victory, did you know that? It's faith. Think about Joshua, the walls of Jericho, crazy story. It's crazy. I'm looking forward to it. When we get to it in a couple weeks, we'll be at it on Wednesday night. We'll talk about the story of Joshua and the walls of Jericho. It's a crazy story. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense, right? It's like march around a city, sing some praise, the walls will come down. It's like, what? Come on. It's crazy. It's a story of faith. It's a story of faith. Obedience, trusting God, man. Faith. Hebrews chapter 11 for us recounts the lives of many men and women who won their victories. Man, they they won. And how did they win? By faith. They took God at his word and they acted upon it. And he honored them and he gave them victory. Some in this present life, some in the life to come. And so faith is not simply saying that, that... Uh, What God says is true, true faith is acting on what God says because God is true. Let me say that again. Faith is not simply saying that what God says is true. True faith is acting on what God says because it's true. Someone has said this about faith. Faith is not so much believing in spite of evidence. It is obeying in spite of consequence. I like that. Not so much believing in spite of evidence, but obeying in spite of consequence. And so John tells us that one of the evidences, is victory by faith. That when we're having victories, that is evidence and proof that God's love is being perfected in us. It's being perfected in us. You know, the reality is this, is as I think about this text, it's it's I just think, well, then the key to this whole thing for me in all of these areas, confidence, honesty, love expressed in obedience, victory, the, the key is this: the better I know Jesus, the more I'm gonna trust him. That seems kind of simple, doesn't it? The more I know him and his love for me, the more this work of perfection is gonna happen in me, the easier it'll be to trust him. The easier it'll be to trust him in the battles. The easier it'll be to trust him with my fears. The easier it'll be to trust him when I wanna put on the facade and pretend. The easier it'll be to trust him when I'm tempted to disobey. When I know his love for me. And so the evidences of perfected love are this, confidence, honesty, love expressing itself in obedience, and victory. And like I said, the key to growing in each one of these areas is to know and to believe the love God has for us. So church, I give you this challenge. Cultivate your friendship with Jesus. Jesus. Cultivate relationship with Jesus Because that relationship, that friendship Will influence all of these areas in your life It will lead to, you know, you, you, you cultivate that love for Jesus And it's going to lead to a deeper relationship with him And the better we love him, the more we'll become like him And we'll grow in confidence and honesty And love expressing itself in obedience and victory These are the evidences I find that encouraging, and here's why I find that encouraging, because I'm like, okay, I can see little things God's doing in my life. I can see little things that he's doing in your life. It's like, wow, the work's not finished, but I'm not who I was. I'm not quite yet who I am going to be, but I'm thankful that I can see the things that God's doing to show me that his love is being perfected in me, and it's being perfected in you.